Welcome to the Restoration Church Weekly Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you are inspired by today's podcast to pursue your God-given calling to reach just one more. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, Restoration Church. Glad we get to be together. Thank you guys so much for, uh, for being here today. Restoration Church, we meet in four locations in New Hampshire. And so Dover, will you welcome Plymouth, Bethlehem, and Milton as we jump in together toward the work? Appreciate you guys. I, during worship this morning, as we were singing, I remember this. When I was, I think I was, I don't know, I was 19 or 20 years old around that age, and um, it must have been, I, I can't remember all the details, but we were up in New Hampshire, me and my friend Christian were up here in New Hampshire, and there was a scheduled day of tackle football at college with all of our college friends in Rhode Island, and so it was a late Friday night. I, if I remember right, we were up here for youth group, and then we were driving back for, uh, to, to play football. And it was a snowstorm, not like this one, it was a real snowstorm. And I mean, the snowflakes were like the size of your hand coming down and we drove 95 down the whole way down to Rhode Island. And what was normally a two hour trip was a four hour trip. As he was in four wheel drive the whole time going 35 miles an hour, the windshield wipers going crazy. And then we got there really late, slept and then played the most spectacular game of snow football that I've played my entire life. I, for me, if I'm going to drive four hours to play football, then it's always in my mindset like, man, I'm getting to church. I'm getting to church. And those of you who've been around Restoration Church for a long time, you know me. Uh, I don't like to cancel. I just absolutely hate it because, um, because I like to be here, number one. Um, but also, uh, I was what I just... I don't know. I just like it. I just like being here. And so I don't try not to cancel if we don't have to. And when you guys show up, then that just helps me to know, okay, good. I'm glad we get to be together and hang out. Now, before we uh, jump into the message, I want to talk to you about Freedom Circles real quick. Freedom Circles, we ran last year, um, February to May, and they'll be running again this year. Uh, last year, it was like 80, 80, well, last year... 50 people completed the Freedom Circle because it's 12 weeks on Wednesday night and then it's an overnight retreat. And I'll share with you over the next few weeks some of the amazing stories that came out of that. But it is unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It impacted, our, it impacted me, our pastoral staff, the people who are leading the circles, including everybody who came and was a part of it. If you, um, if you signed up last year but weren't able to go, sign up again. If you only finish half of it, sign up again. And it, especially if you didn't have the opportunity last year or you're new to the church this year, this is a circle you'll want to be a part of. And it ends with a free overnight Friday to Saturday retreat, which is essentially half of it. Um, half of it is the Wednesday nights. The second half of it is this overnight retreat. And it is, it is, uh, it is so good. It is so powerful and you don't want to miss it. So those signups will, I'm probably even talking sooner than you can even sign up for it. I just want you to know that that's coming up. So begin to block out your Wednesday nights. And uh, when you sign up, we'll tell you the dates of the weekend in May. But I don't want you to miss out 
on, on just the experience that's going to be. All right. Now, listen, some of you here are old enough to remember being a Red Sox fan during the era of the curse of the Bambino. So it's when the Red Sox were terrible for 80 years. And, uh, and so to even talk about it, sometimes, you know, the only thing you do would complain about it. And I remember one Easter, the families gathered together, and my younger brother and I are excited for the new Red Sox season. And it had begun under, it had just started and spring training had happened. The Red Sox had a bunch of, uh, a bunch of new players and we were talking, we were excited. You know, they had come so close the year before to beating the Yankees in extra innings and just had fallen short. And man, we were so excited. Listen, this year with the new players they had, they're going to get over that. They're going to, they're going to win the World Series, they're going to get to the We're going to see it finally for the first time in our lives, though I was alive in 1986, so it doesn't really count. And I remember as we're talking about that all excited, my, my uncle says, they say that every year. They say that every year. They're never going to win the World Series. They say that every year. And we just kind of looked at them and didn't argue with them because that wouldn't have proven effective at all. But we just kind of looked at each other and just thought, you know, I don't even think this guy is a Red Sox fan. Um, so we just ignore him and then we continued our conversation in private. You know, fast forward. <laughs> that actually was the year that they won the World Series, their, their first World Series. And uh, what did you know? it? My uncle was a Red Sox fan at the end of the year when they won the World Series. I'd never even believe it. And, I probably shouldn't be saying this online. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> but we can, we're in this series called Expectation, and we can step into a new year, or we can have an expectation of something, either based on, uh, one based on possibility. These are, I've got this expectation that this could happen. Or we could enter the year with an expectation that's built on pain. These are the pain experience I've had in the past, and so I'll expect these are the pain experiences I've, I'll have in the future. In my entire life, in my uncle, his entire life, the Red Sox lost in profound, disappointing, embarrassing fashion, including 2003, right? Including the year before. And, um, and it's just pain. This is, I'm not going to get my hopes up. I'm not going to get excited because this is what's going to happen. We can do this, you know, in areas that are much more important than sports, all right? In areas that affect us, affect our future. We can just decide, I will expect no good thing because of what I've had in the past. Now listen, we think about 2024, first Sunday of the year. Welcome, glad you're here. We think about 2024, what are you expecting to happen this year? Expecting a downturn in the economy? Expecting interest rates to rise? Expecting inflation to rise? Expecting a divisive and tumultuous election? Expecting your kids to misbehave? Expecting your marriage to struggle? Expecting your health to deteriorate? Expecting the Red Sox to be terrible? And I think that's legitimate. I, I, <laughs> I expect that too. But what are you 
expecting to happen. And likely, if you're expecting some of those things, and and maybe some of those things will happen. I'm not saying they're not going to happen, and we just pretend they're not going to happen. But when that's your expectation, begin to recognize, wait a minute, I'm establishing this future year on the pains I've already experienced. What are your your, your expectations for your own personal life? What are your expectations for your marriage, for your kids, for your career, for your finances? In your spiritual life, what do you expect God to do in your life? And are those expectations that are built on possibility, built on God's word, built on the God of the impossible, or are they expectations built on the previous pain you've experienced. To, let me even ask you some further questions. For those of you who are you're followers of Jesus, you've been followers of Jesus for a long time, do you expect him to use you this year? Do you expect that your prayers will be answered? Do you expect that you'll lead someone else to know him? Do you expect him to move in our church service, in your circle, in the freedom circle, in, in your Um, you know, in in your counseling, in your home, do you expect him to do anything or are you just kind of really just existing? You have no expectations, not even bad expectations, you just have no expectation. We're going to be in this series for the next few weeks, including Next Gen Takeover, which is happening in February, and that's where all of our kids and teenagers take over the service. So, Depending on the location, they'll, they'll be greeting, making coffee. I'm sure that's going to be wonderful. And, um, and leading worship, preaching. We have six teenagers right now that are in the process of writing a sermon for that week. And, uh, it's going to be great that first Sunday in February. And they're going to be preaching on expectation as well. Now, I want to start the year and start this series with a message titled, the God of expectation. Now open your Bibles to Romans 15. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. And all you have to do is go to the, the next steps or new here area in the lobby and just, hey, can I have a Bible? And no questions asked, they'll give you one. And we're going to be in Romans 15. So as you're turning there, there's, there's quite a bit of history and background to the... Uh, to the verse that we're going to preach from, the verse that we're going to read from. So kind of get there, hold your finger there, and then pay attention to me as I, as, um, actually, we'll, we'll read it first here before that. But the Apostle Paul is the author of Romans. He's, he's the guy writing this. If you're not familiar with him, he was a, a, he was a Jew. He was a very educated, scholarly, uh, religious Jewish man who hated those people who were following Jesus. And begin to orchestrate them being arrested, begin to orchestrate their, uh, their execution. And, and so we would say he, he was a murderer who then found Christ and then began to travel the known world telling people about Jesus. So pretty um, amazing transformation in his life. And he's writing Romans to Christians living in Rome, to the church that existed in the city of Rome. And he's... And much of what he's writing about, he's telling 
Christian groups that are in disagreement with each other, and he's telling them and teaching them how to get back to a place of unity and how to, have, how to be united as a church. Now, I'm going to read this verse to you, and it's going to seem that it has nothing to do with that, and then we'll go into some background. So Romans chapter 15, look down at verse number 15. Paul writes, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the God of of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. He's writing this as a response to disunity. And to arguments and disagreements and kind of segregation of factions. So let's, let's go through a little bit of history here that you may not be familiar with. When Paul wrote Romans, there was about 50,000 Jews who lived in Rome, and it was a city of about one billion people. And Christians, those who followed Jesus, at the time, many of them continued to follow Jesus within the Jewish synagogue. And eventually, Jewish people kind of got sick of that kicked them out, they begin to meet in homes and, and wherever they could find. And what happened um, prior to this being written, that about 49 AD, there was a dispute amongst Jews and Christians over this fact. They, you, you know, they begin to clash and the persecution that the Jewish faith was putting on Christ, Christianity exploded in Rome as well. So. What happened is the emperor named Claudius at the time, he banished all Jews from the city, including Christian Jews. He just, hey, if you're Jewish, you're going to leave. Get out of here. Now, Claudius died later, uh, about um, uh, seven or five years later, and this ended the banishment of Jews from Rome. So what did they do? Jewish people begin to come back. Christian Jews begin to come back. A famous name um, famous Christians that you may be familiar with, but the, the couple Aquila and Priscilla, when this ended, they went and returned back to, uh, to Rome. Now, when the Jewish Christians returned, not all of the Gentile Christians welcomed them back. So now we begin to have kind of our first disagreement. And Gentiles are are non-Jewish, not by religious practice, not by ethnicity. Uh, they are, um, you know, mo- most of us are, would be considered Gentiles. And continue to look at this, Paul now is writing, hey, they've got, Christians are clashing, they're fighting each other. So it's not Jews and Christians fighting as it had been previously, now it's Christians and Christians fighting. who are coming from, from different uh, different backgrounds, they've grown up different ways, and they are um, they're fighting. And what began to happen is there became really four main groups of Christians who were at odds with each other within this one city. And so Paul is writing, and he understands that conflict is threatening the work of God in the church. Conflict is is affecting and can absolutely destroy the work of God in this city of one billion people. So there's all kinds of questions on conduct and 
who should be allowed to do what, who should do what, and there's a lot of verses spoken to that. But this verse right here, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Paul wrote this to help bring the church in unity together. So there's a a biblical commentary called McLaren's Exposition, and he says this about this verse. He says, in substance, it points to the true remedy for religious controversy. Fill the contending parties with a fuller spiritual life, and the ground of their differences will begin to dwindle and look very contemptible. When the tide rises, the little pools on the rocks are all merged into one. So he's saying, all right, the, the, the Christian church is separating themselves into factions, but this, um, this biblical scholar is saying that the verse, Romans 15, 13, it is the remedy for religious controversy. That when there's a church that begins to, some people begin to get disgruntled, that some people begin to have opinions and try to get people on their side and there begins to become disagreement or separation or argument. That this verse that we're studying today, it is the remedy for those controversies. That if we were to take all parties who are in disagreement with each other and fill them instead with a deeper spiritual life, then what happens? The grounds of their differences will begin to dwindle. So if we think about, you know, uh, um, I, I, I've told this story before, but um, sometimes there are churches that people, you know, they, they repaint uh, a room in the church and people don't like the color and they begin to argue about it, they begin to fight about it, they begin to be at all, like stop talking with each other over paint on a wall. Listen. Fill the people fighting about paint color with a fuller spiritual life and the ground of their differences will begin to dwindle. And we recognize when we're full of God, when we're pursuing God, we're on the mission of God to reach just one more. That conversations about paint color or carpet or music style or even preaching style, right? As long as we're maintaining true doctrine. The ministries we have, the ministries we don't have, who, you know, who gets opportunities for leadership, who doesn't. When, when we have a fuller spiritual life, it seems like all those things disappear. And I, w- I would tell you that the fuller the spiritual life of the church, the less and less amount of controversy, the, there will be a lesser amount of fighting, there'll be a lesser amount of preference and opinion because, and there'll be more unity toward the mission that God's put us on. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The more full our spiritual life is, the less time we have to fight about stupid things and the more we're united into what God wants and what God has for us. That's what he's saying about this verse Verse number 18, the God of expectation. So I just got a, a whole lot of background here on this scripture because we're loaded. There's a lot more into this than just saying, hey, expect good things. <laughs> like it's not just a feel good message. 
It's a remedy. It's a prescription. There's something about knowing and believing and following the God of expectation that does something to our spiritual life, that does something to our walk with God, that does something to our relationships with each other, something profound, something deep, something we don't want to overlook. So look back at verse number 13 again. We're talking about the God of expectation, and expectation's not in here, and so I want to teach you a little bit so you know I'm not just twisting scripture for my own benefit. Let's start right here. May the God of hope. Hope, we've taught this many times before, hope does not mean just like wishful thinking. We use it, uh, I hope the Red Sox win the World Series, right? It's like far-fetched, not going to happen. John Henry will never let it happen. He will never, ever, ever let the Red Sox win the World Series again. So let us pray for him to leave. Jesus, uh, it's not wishful thinking. Biblical hope is expectation. One of our main doctrines of the church is called the blessed hope. The blessed hope. It's not the, hey, and what that is, is the blessed hope is our church fancy way of saying Jesus is coming back again. The blessed hope. So we're not saying, man, I hope, I hope he comes back one day. It's so bad here. I hope, I hope, I hope, I wish. No, the Christian understanding of hope, the biblical understanding of hope is expectation. So this word, hope, uh, obviously wasn't written in English because uh, but it was written in Greek. And the Greek word, the original word for hope, I don't know if you've got that for it, so this is the Greek writing of that. This word, um, elpis, all right? That's how you pronounce it, elpis. This word means this. This is 100% Bible dictionary. Expectation, hope. That's the definition for elpis. Expectation, hope. The God of hope. The God of expectation. The God of El Peace. And we can take this and we can understand. Again, it means expect. The God of expectation. The God of expectation. The God of hope. It's not the God of wishing. It's not a God of let's see what happens. It's not a God of let me give you a pat on the back and send you on your way. Now, I want to reread this verse again and using this word El Peace in its... Um, you know, with expectation instead of hope. So you put that on for me. May the God of expectation fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You may abound in expectation. We're going to go through this scripture over these next couple minutes. And let's break this down here. All right. May the God of expectation. What does it say next? Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. This is one of those scriptures that you read it, fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing. It's one of those scriptures that seems like you just read past it. But we, can we stop here for a second and just fill, just fill you with all joy and peace in believing? Can we be on? What does that even mean? Can, can we be on? Like we just read past it. But what does that mean? May the God of expectation fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So let's break this down a little bit so we understand. First, 
I would say this. When you don't expect much, you don't have much. As in joy and peace. May the God of expectation fill you, fill you with joy and peace in the expectation that you're having. Your belief, belief is an act of expectation. When you believe, may the God of expectation, the God who you're believing in, may he fill you with joy and peace. If you find yourself as someone with minimal joy and minimal peace, maybe you've discovered symptoms of a problem that you have minimal expectation, you have minimal belief. There's a correlation on those that we miss. Believing in, and, and, and sometimes we even limit ourselves, that to believe and have expectation in God, we don't want to do that. I don't want to have expectation that God's going to do something because what if he doesn't? I don't want to have expectation that that's going to happen because what if it doesn't? And if we won't even um, have expectation, we don't think it's going to bring joy and peace. We think it's going to bring, it's going to bring pain. We think it's going to bring uh, problems. We think it's going to bring embarrassment. And we, we're not walking around in belief and expectation. We're walking around in fear. And probably you've done that. And let me share an example that, that maybe will be raw, and I'm, I, I, I don't want this to be raw for you, but, but I think this helps us to understand. When a married couple says, hey, let's have a baby, and there's an expectation, I hope we get pregnant. There's an expectation, we're going to get, it's going to happen. I don't know if it'll be this month, it'll be next month, it's going to happen. And for some couples, because the timeline, because of miscarriages, because of pain, the expectation for pregnancy is no longer accompanied with joy and peace, but instead it's accompanied by dread, by tears, and by brokenness. That is hard. That's difficult. That's real life. How does this scripture fit in that? These three things, hope and expectation, joy and peace, become uh, become like a braid, become this triangle, this pillar that represents our Christian attitude toward the future, toward difficulties, toward problems, toward setbacks, toward disappointments, toward heartbreak. That even in the midst of struggle and pain and hardship, we know who the God of expectation is and our anticipation that in our believing that, that one day it will happen. That one day 
will be the miracle. That one day will be the life after this one without pain, sorrow, or tears. And we're able to walk through desperate, difficult moments with hope, joy, and peace. And what we can do because we're thinking, I'm not going to expect any more because I can't handle any more pain. We'll talk about this more in a little bit, but not to put the expectation on yourself and not to set an expectation on previous pain, but to keep the excitement and belief of what can be and what will be. We would call this faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're having faith toward those things. The God of peace, excuse me, the God of hope fills you in believing that according to your faith, it shall be done unto you. Now let's talk about this second part of this verse. It says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Again, a couple of things there. Let's break that down into two different parts. The first part is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Every single one of us are created. There's more to us than just our physical body. All right? There's more to you than that. We are created with body, soul, and spirit. An expectation in God doesn't come from a fake smile. It doesn't come from pretending because we can easily pretend we show up at church, how are things, hallelujah, praise the Lord, glory to God. You know, we just repeat all the things that they said in the 50s. We, we, it doesn't, expectation doesn't come from that. It doesn't come from putting on an outside show. Also, expectation doesn't come from having a good memory. I'll remind myself. I'll put a reminder in my phone. I'm going to, um, you know, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh right, right. I remember, yeah, I'm, I'm expecting good things to happen. It doesn't come from that as well. Expectation comes from our spirit by the spirit of God. That when our spirit man is connected to the spirit of God, expectation is birthed. Very similar to the way that the fruit of the Holy Spirit works in our life. You can have a natural disposition to be gentle and patient. But when the Holy Spirit is active in your life, you operate, and what grows in your life is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what blossoms out of your life as your spirit is connected to the Holy Spirit. What happens here too, right? Expectation is birthed. Because when you're close to God, you know what God is able to do. When you stay close to God, you know that God is in control. When you stay close to God, you know the results are up to him. The second part of this, that you may abound in hope, you'll abound in hope. Also, what does hope mean, expectation? You'll abound in expectation. That joy in expectation, you'll have joy in believing, you'll have joy in believing that God's going to do something. You'll have joy in believing in the God of expectation. You'll have joy. That joy will produce even more expectation. 
God's not just having this idea of, I'm going to just have a, here, have a little bit of expectation. What he's anticipating, what he wants to do is to cultivate joy and peace in your life that you'll have more belief, that you'll, have, that you'll expect more, and by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, even more expectation will build up. That you won't just believe God for possible coincidences, but you'll believe God for the impossible. You won't just believe God that it will all work out, but you'll believe that God is actively working to make it work out according to his plans over your life. That he is active in your life. Let me say this, because I even... As I was studying for the message this week, I, I've, I found some articles that would probably even, probably even argue what I'm teaching or what I'm about to say. I make this statement, then you can boo me if you want. God does not want you to temper your expectations. I see nothing in this scripture where God is telling you to temper your expectations about what he can do, what he wants to do, what he can do through you, what he can do through the church, what he can do for your family, what he can do in our country, what he can do in this world. I don't see in scripture where it says, temper your expectations about what God can do. No, what I read right here, may the God of expectation fill you with joy and peace. May you have that while you're believing and you're expecting that when you do that, when you have joy and peace and you're expecting that the Holy Spirit will even empower you to have greater, greater, even more expectation that you'll abound in it. I don't see tempering our expectations, but don't we do that? Don't we do that? What are you expecting for your life? What are you expecting God to do in your life in 2024? And some of us immediately, when I asked that question at the start of the service, we're like, ah, whatever he wants to do, <laughs> something good, I hope. We have no expectation. We have no belief that he wants to, that he will, that he can. But that's not what he wants for you. We must transfer our expectations. Not, the problem's not temper, the problem's not our expectations, all right? We don't need to temper our expectations, but we need to transfer our expectations. One, transfer our expectations from ourselves to himself. The expectation of what's possible is not what Restoration Church can do for me. It's not what Pastor Nate can do for me. It's not what my spouse can do for me. It's not what my boss can do for me. It's not what I can do for myself. The expectation I have comes from God, the one who, the uncreated one who created the heavens and the earth. My expectation is on him. And when I, my eyes are focused on him and I read about the miracles in scripture that he's done in past, when I read about the miracles he did in our church last year, then what should happen is, God, if you did that, what else can you do? God, that was so fun. What else can you do? What else are you gonna do? I can't wait to see it. We transfer our expectations of what should happen when. And instead, we transfer it 
to an understanding of he will do it when. He will do it when he's determined. And as I'm faithfully following him, as I'm walking in expectation, as I'm having joy and peace and believing, whether that's for a baby, whether that's for a spouse, whether that's for a financial breakthrough, whether that's for a physical miracle, I'll have joy and peace in believing, waiting for the God of expectation to do what he says in scripture he's gonna do. I'll transfer my expectation from myself to himself. I'll transfer my expectation of what should happen when. God, I think this should be the timeline. You need to do it here, you need to do it now. I'll transfer that to an expectation of he will do it when. I, um, I get this quote, I'll, sh I'll share it and maybe, but I, uh, a pastor, I've heard him say it many times, he says this, we overestimate what we can do in a year and we underestimate what we can do in 10. And this is this idea of, you know, if God doesn't do it now, then what's the point? He's gonna do it now. If he doesn't do it now, then how is he even God? If he doesn't do it now, then I'm out. And we're telling God to act according to our limited, singular timeline, instead of trusting God. Romans 8, 28, he works all things for good for those who follow him. God, I don't like this timeline. I don't like this struggle. I don't like that it didn't work out the way I wanted to, but God, I know that you're good. God, I know that you love me. And God, I'm gonna keep on believing because I believe you told me to believe. Listen, remember, Paul wrote this passage to Christians who are, dis who are in disagreement. They were in theological debate, they were in conduct debate, they were arguing about how to worship, who to worship, what they needed to do to be allowed to worship. And they were told, hey, listen, Remember, we serve the God of expectation. Let's serve him. Let's be filled with the joy and peace he has for us as we believe in what he's gonna do. And the Holy Spirit, when you're not fighting each other and you're not complaining and you're not backbiting and you're not arguing, the Holy Spirit is gonna give you the ability to have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in those conversations. You know what he's gonna do? He's gonna overflow you with even more expectation. I want to take a moment and pray for you. And here's what you want to, here's what I want you to do. If you're comfortable, you don't have to do this, but if you're comfortable, I'd love for you to close your eyes. And I'd love for you to stick, just stick your hands out on your lap, hands up. And it's a, it's a posture of expectation. Posture affects our heart. That's why you see people kneel when they pray. That's why you see people raise their hands when they sing. Um, because our posture, really, we, we line up according to our posture. Our body, even our endorphins, react according to our posture. Try smiling and see that has a positive chemical reaction in your body. Um, try uncrossing your arms. That has a positive reaction toward the people around you, our posture. So as you sit with your eyes closed and your hands on your lap with your palms facing up, just imagine you're in a posture of, I'm, I'm about to bring you a, a gift, or I'm gonna bring you a puppy, or I'm gonna bring you a cat, or I'm gonna bring you, uh, 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 you know, I'm gonna let you hold one of my kids. Like, it's just a posture of, I'm, a, I'm excited 
and I want this. And what I want you to receive from God is some expectation. Some expectation for this year, some expectation for your life. To expect some miracles. To accept, expect some breakthrough. To expect some transformation. To expect some joy and some peace instead of depression and anxiety. And as you have your hands out, let me pray for you. Jesus, man, we thank you so much. As we celebrated all through Christmas about how you came to rescue us. And you did it. You lived that perfect life that we couldn't live. You died on that cross in our place. You rose from the grave that we could be forgiven, that we could have everlasting life. And, and you rescue everybody who, who asks you. Jesus, when we pray, Jesus, rescue us. Jesus, forgive us. Now that changes everything for our life. We're not living on our own. We're not living by our own power. But the God who rose from the grave and the word that he's recorded is now true and a promise for my life. Every sin is forgiven. Every bondage is broken. Every addiction is, is, uh, is um, eradicated. Every sickness is healed. God, every promise is delivered, is given to us. God, you have made many, many promises to us in your word. We don't know when we're, they're gonna all happen, but we're expecting them to happen. And we're, we're expecting some of them to happen this year, not in a defiant, entitled way, but in a worshipful, worshipful understanding of, hey, you're the God of expectation. And you're planning some pretty exciting things this year. And we are so excited to see it and to be a part. And we pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Church, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. We like to end our time of preaching with just singing for a minute. So will you sing and just allow God to speak to you and to, um, to just continue to pour into your life?